You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always spend, you can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So this week's Torah portion, it's almost like it's split in half. There's two separate parts. You listen to our last show, we talked about great people dying, and you know what? That happens to be the beginning, the first half of this week's Torah portion. Second part of this week's Torah portion is kosher. Kosher animals, um, kosher fish, kosher birds. So there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff that we need to learn, but I realized I had prepared a great story. It's a very long story. And if I try to talk about the first part of the Torah portion, I don't think I'll get to the story. And I'm in the middle of going through the story again myself. I can't remember part of the ending of the story. But um, let's talk about this amazing story. First, get us into the kosher mode of this week's Torah portion. For example, the Torah portion talks about that a kosher animal has two signs, right? It has split hooves and it chews its cud. Or a fish needs fins and scales. And by fish, there's no such thing as a fish having one without the other. By animals, the Torah lists those four animals that have one out of the two. Otherwise, all animals, either you got them both or you got none. It talks about bugs and other things. So um, here's a fascinating story. There was a, a, a young student married young married student from Jerusalem, and he fell ill. And it seems he needed a very complex brain operation. And at least in those days, in the days of the story, the, uh, the hospitals in Israel were not ready yet. Like nowadays, they may have some of the best in the world. So I can't tell you if they could have done the surgery nowadays. But in those days, interesting enough, the best place to go for this specific surgery was a medical center um, located in the former Yugoslavia. Now, the doctors there spoke English, but this, this young scholar from Jerusalem, he probably spoke maybe Yiddish, maybe spoke Hebrew. He didn't speak any English. So he, the father of this man asked his friend, his friend's name was Yosef Raphael, he said, could you do me a favor? I need a favor. Could you accompany my son? Me going serves no purpose because I don't speak English. And he's not going to know what's going on. And I need someone to be with him by the surgery. Could you please go? So he said, fine. When they arrived, they made their appointments. To Obviously, they'd made some arrangements beforehand, uh, but no one's doing surgery until they actually sit down and talk to and explain and look at the x-rays. Anyways, so they made an appointment to see this top surgeon at this prestigious Institute for Neurosurgery in Belgrade, Serbia. 
Um, they did, of course, they did many tests, and they fixed the date for the surgery. Okay. Anyways, um, when the surgeon completed the operation and he came out of the out of the room and he came to speak to this Rabbi Yosef, and he told me, he says, "Listen to me. The most important thing for the patient is to drink milk. This surgery requires." Um, if you want it to heal quickly and properly, needs a, the person needs to drink a lot of milk. Okay? So when the, when the patient woke up in anesthesia, Yosef explained to him what happened. It was a, su- a successful surgery. And he says, for a full recovery, you need to drink milk. So the Torah scholar said to him, um, can we get milk that's whole of Yisrael? or what we call Jewish milk. Okay, what's Jewish milk? Cows are not Jewish. Being owned by a Jew does not make the cow a Jewish cow. What is Jewish milk? So there is a law that says that we want a... It doesn't have to be a rabbi, it could be anybody Jewish. We want someone Jewish to observe the milking process. That's what we want. Is usually it'll be a rabbi, but technically, as long as the person's Jewish, I mean, the idea being that nobody slipped in any other milk. But what's interesting is there was a famous um, question asked many, many years ago to Moshe Feinstein, can we rely on the USDA, right? They, they are guaranteeing that the milk in my bottle is milk and not camel milk or uh, pig milk. Right, so um, can we rely on that to say it's kosher? Because technically, the only reason that I care that uh, there's a rabbi watching is to make sure there's nothing that's that was not kosher was slipped into that milk. So Moshe Feinstein says you could rely on it. We happen to call it chal stam, regular milk, but he actually suggested that schools not use it. And always people at home want to use it. But better for children studying Torah, they not use it. And Ramosh himself um, only ate what we call this Chal Yisrael. And happens to be on the, in most of the country. In Detroit, there was a period of time you could not get um, what we call Jewish milk, unless you went to a farm and watched it milk yourself. So even the big rabbis in town here in Detroit, um, they would allow their children to drink what we call regular milk. It's kosher, it's just not Jewish milk. But these rabbis themselves would not drink it. Once a month, they would get some regular milk that somebody came from a farm that he watched. But on the other extreme, there are people that say, no, it's not just that it's not kosher. To be Jewish milk, we needed a rabbi or somebody Jewish watching the milking process. Why the Torah wanted this, not so important to us. But it is a fact. So the the patient says, uh, can we get any Jewish milk, any Chav Yisrael? So the, the Shreb says, hello, we're, we're, we're in Belgrade. What may, there's no Jews around here. There's no Jewish milk. He said, well, then I'm not having any. My whole life I never let any milk pass my lips that wasn't Jewish milk. So, uh, so this Shreb Yosef is trying to convince him and explaining to him, he said, come on. Says it's for your health. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's life and death. We can make an exception in this case, but at this point, the young scholar 
was refusing. He said, God knows that I need Jewish milk. God's going to have to take care of me. Okay. Anyways, so this Yosef goes out of the room. The, the young scholar has to rest up from the surgery. And may, maybe he can call uh, people in Jerusalem. Maybe they can ship the milk somehow and someone will pick it up. He's trying to figure out what to do. Anyways, he's approached by a man and woman who had just arrived from Israel. This man and woman saw, obviously, this if Yosef was Jewish, and they said to him, um, do you speak English? The woman asked him in Hebrew. He says, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. He said to her, um, have you ever made the blessing on Shabbos candles? And... Uh, and uh, the bottom line was that the woman was explaining to him that she'd recently had a major head trauma and she needed a serious brain operation. And she was told that this medical center in Belgrade specialized in what she needs, but she didn't speak English. And she needed somebody to communicate with her and the surgeons. <laughs> so I said, no problem. I mean, I just did this for, uh, for my uh, friend's son. I'll gladly do it for you. So he accompanies the woman and husband um, with a surgeon, and the surgeon starts going through the medical records and the brain scans, and he told the woman, he says, you do need brain surgery. But he says, but I have to be honest with you. Yugoslavia, or Serbia, is the wrong place for this, what you specifically need. happens to be that um, the Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem um, has very skilled surgeons, and they can do exactly what you need. So she says, one second. I just came all the way from Jerusalem, and it's been a long trip, and I'm very tired, and there were airplane strikes, and I've been wandering around till I figured out how to get here, and you're telling me I should just go back home, and in my own backyard I could have had the surgery? So the doctor said, so what'd she say? And he again explains, and the doctor says... Not only is that hospital in Jerusalem better equipped, right? Um, but we can't even do it. The only place you can get this surgery is in Jerusalem. You might as well just go back. I'm very sorry you slept all the way out here. There's really nothing I can do for you. So they walked out of the surgeon's office, and, uh, and the, the husband that was with his wife... Um, says to Yosef, he says, uh, you know, the, I have this suitcase here. I have no use for it. Really? Why? What's in the suitcase? Milk. Milk? What do you have milk? Well, we knew that for brain surgeries, milk is very, very important. And we were afraid we wouldn't be able to find Jewish milk when we came here, so we brought milk with us. But no point in us schlepping it all the way back. We're just getting on a plane going back to Israel. So if you need the milk, please enjoy it. So you can imagine how excited this Rav Yosef was. He takes the suitcase from this young Israeli, runs into the room of his son's friend, the recent patient, and he says, you don't understand what just happened. God is taking care of you. God sent you Jewish milk. Can you imagine? God just sent it to you. He knew you were having surgery. God knew you wouldn't imagine to bring milk. 
So he sent it, and he knew that you wouldn't drink anything but Jewish milk. He sent a lady here with milk, and she can't even use it because the surgery here is not for her. Is that like an amazing story? That story is just wild. So I figure I wanted to get that story in. Such a beautiful, beautiful story. And let's get to the beginning of the Torah portion. Okay, you know, once I'm telling stories, I'll give you one more story. In the last show, um, if you didn't listen to the last show, now would be a great time to listen to it. Um, we talked about the recent passing of the leading rabbi in the world. His name was Chaim Kanievsky. And uh, I told you some of the stories that one last story. One last really beautiful story. Let me see if I can find it over here. Might as well get the story properly. So the story goes like this. The story is with Aryeh Cohen. Rabbi Cohen became a teacher, a high school teacher, taught boys, taught girls. It was always his dream to teach um, teenagers, make a connection with these teenagers, and really create a lifelong bond with all his students. You know, after four or five years of being in high school, and now you got a couple hundred students, if you try to call each of them, it's hours of your day. And all of a sudden he realized, yes, he always dreamed of having real connections with his students. But to keep in touch with all of them, he was running out of his own personal time for growth. He had no time to study. So he went to this great rabbi. This would be Kanaeski. And again, if you, if you missed it, you, you got to go back and listen to the last show. It's really, he was, he was, this was a rabbi that didn't waste a second. He studied day and night. He slept a couple hours at night. He just learned, studied, studied, studied. There was nothing more important to him than Torah study. So this rabbi Cohen goes and sits down with him and says, says, great rabbi, or however he referred to him, he said, you know, this was my lifelong dream. I should become a high school teacher and deal with teenagers and build relationships with them. But I don't have time to study. What should I do? If I'm going to continue on this path, that every student that wants a relationship with me, I'm going to let them build a relationship. I'm on the phone for hours every day. When will I have time to study? What should I do? So Chaim said, you should learn a little bit every day. What? Rabbi, listen to me. These people, when they call me, they don't talk about like, like philosophical stuff where we could even pretend I'm studying. They want to talk about the ball game. They want to talk about their girlfriends. It's not learning. And again, Uchayim told him, just learn a little bit. Everyone has their jobs in this world. Everyone has what they're good at. Everyone has their talents. Everyone has to serve God. Some people can serve God by studying Torah all day long. Some people can serve God by helping others. Of course you must learn every day. But just make sure you learn a little bit every single day. And that was, is just an amazing lesson from a rabbi who understood the value of Torah. He understood that for some people, that was not their calling in life, and they had to serve God in a different way. Okay, just, you know, sorry I had to get these stories out of the way. I have no idea how much we'll get through in the rest of the Torah portion, but we'll do our best. Anyways, the the Torah portion this week is Shmini. It is the 
inauguration of the tabernacle. Um, Aaron will become the high priest today. His four sons will become the priests. And from then, all Kehanim, all priests come from this family. And this is the day of the becoming priest. This is the, the highlight. God will send his presence down to dwell in the tabernacle. And Moses says, okay, for today... For today, we're gonna bring you're gonna you Aaron are gonna bring all the sacrifices, but no fire. We can set up the wood on top of the altar. We can set the order of all the sacrifices, but God is going to show His presence by bringing down a heavenly fire. You are not you, not your sons, that you are to light a physical fire today. So Aaron is waiting. He did everything he was supposed to do. And the fire is not coming. And he says, Moses, I'm all embarrassed. The fire is not coming. It's my fault. I was involved in the golden calf. I made the golden calf. I tried to do delaying tactics. But the fact of the matter is I was involved. And God is punishing me. You got to help me out. So Moses, fine. Let's go into the tabernacle itself. Me and you will pray to God and God will send down his fire. They go in and pray. And sure enough, God sends down his fire. However, when that fire on the way, when the fire is traveling from the tabernacle to the altar, uh, Aaron's two older sons, Nadav and Avihu, are standing there. And I don't want to say they're in the way, but the fire goes right into them, kills them both, and then goes to the altar. When the Jewish people see the fire on the altar, they all bow down, they all praise God. Um, Tragedy. Right? This is this is for Aaron. This is the highlight. This is his greatest day, and his two sons just died. Now, the Talmud happens to discuss what exactly did wrong. There's a long list, interesting enough. Each thing may be by newt, but the fact of the matter is there's a long list of what they did wrong, and therefore they deserve to die. We'll get there. But interesting enough, Moses says to Aaron when, he, when they see that these two boys died, he says, you know, my brother, God had told me that on the day of the inauguration, God would, will show the Jewish people um, he will become honored through his special ones. I thought I was going to die, or you were going to die. Now I see your sons are greater than me and you because they're the ones that died to show that God doesn't let any slight infractions. No one should think that when you get to the top of the hill, you're so special that you get a free pass. There is no free pass. And God showed it by having those two killed. So it says Aaron was quiet. He didn't say anything. And he prays for it. It's interesting. It's a fascinating reward. Throughout the Torah, whenever any new command is given to the Jewish people, it's always God said to Moses, saying, except once. Right after this story, God actually, it's the, the Torah says, God spoke to Aaron, saying. And the law was that the priests cannot serve if they drank wine. If they had a cup of wine, um, they cannot serve till they sleep or walk a certain distance, whatever it is. Um, and that carries a, a heavenly death penalty. And that's why some say that that's what Nodav and Aviyu did wrong, that they wanted, that was the purpose of wine, 
is to make a person happy. I don't mean to get stone drunk. I don't mean a person who loses it. But wine has the ability to make people happy. Um, interesting enough, there's a verse that says that uh, when somebody dies, so the relatives can take a glass of wine to put them in a better mood. That's what wine has the ability. Nadvan Aviyu um, obviously thought that for this special occasion, it would be appropriate to drink wine, and God says no. When you're working in the temple, even though, yes, wine gladdens the heart, but you cannot drink any wine when you're working in the temple tabernacle area. Um, but the question is, what did Aaron do that was so special? He was quiet. What is this quiet that, that we're talking about, that, that Aaron was quiet and therefore he deserves to be rewarded? It's not just that I'm quiet, that I know everything God does is for the, is for the good. Right? Uh, Hashem probably had a good reason. I mean, that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's a good starting point. But if not, if Naftali Amsterdam explains like this, that Aaron was on the level that he internalized that God is good. And that was so internalized that anything that happens, no questions asked. Not because I know that what God does for the good and therefore there's no point in asking the question. Aaron didn't need to ask the question because he understood everything is good. I may not know why, but I so understand that what God does is always for the best. It would be like a child, a young child, that when the parent tells the child, um, explaining why certain things has to be done, the child naturally will trust the parent even if the child doesn't understand. Maybe there's a surgery, a child broke a bone, or they're going to the hospital, and all the things can be happening. The child automatically trusts. He doesn't say, I'm not going to the hospital until you explain to me um, the procedure. Yeah, a four-year-old child, a five-year-old child. My mother says I'm supposed to do this. Must be it's the best thing for me. I may not like it. I may cry. But the child knows this is the best. So no questions. So at, that was the spiritual level that Aaron was on. No questions asked. Which is really amazing. So I saw a story like this. I know today a lot of stories today. A lot, a lot of stories. So the story is told um, with Hashem Zaman Arbach. Hashem Zaman Arbach um, was back when I went in Israel in the 80s, was a, was a leading um, rabbi in law, plus he had a school, a great rabbi. And uh, his wife had passed away. So he was in the hospital. He was taking care of some things. You know, she passed away in the hospital, has to take care of some hospital stuff and get and then deal with whatever has to be dealt with and then get ready for the funeral. Anyways, while he's like in the hallway, um, a man comes over, clearly did not know that Rishlam Zalman's wife had passed away. And he says to the rabbi, oh, Mazel Tov, my wife um, just gave birth. And it was a girl, and the Shlomo Zalman says, oh, Malatov, so beautiful, so wonderful. Do you need anything? Eh? Talks to him. You didn't even know that his wife had just passed away. He was quiet. When the man found out later that he had gone over to this great rabbi to tell him about uh, how he just had a daughter while this great rabbi's wife had just passed away, he came over to apologize. So Shlomo Zalman said, you don't need to apologize. 
my wife dying is is that's something personal, right? That's a personal loss. I am not allowed to. I am not allowed to allow my personal loss to dampen the joy of others. For that, I have to be quiet. I, because he was a leader, right? Mr. Simon Zama was a leader. He understood that that there are times where that there's the personal. Yes, I'm suffering because of the personal, but at the same time, I'm a leader. He was that person's rabbi. He has to be happy for that person because that's what that person needs. That's greatness. That's that's what it means that Aaron was quiet. Vayidam Aaron. That Aaron. Oh, here comes the music. I would keep going, but you know, we like to keep it short and sweet. So as always. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful production team. We have David Sisko and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.